0: This episode contains financial, verbal, and physical abuse. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to It Doesn't End Here. Welcome back to It Doesn't End Here. You are about to listen to part three of Jennifer's story. If you have not listened to part one and part two, then stop here and go back and listen. Last episode ended with Jennifer and Jersey having a heated argument about Jennifer going back to college. This ended with Jersey punching Jennifer in the face and then he stormed out of the house and
1: left for work. I was shaking and I didn't know what to do, and I would have normally called my girlfriend, but I didn't. I said there was something different, and I said, "You know what? I can't do this anymore." And I called the police. He left a big, huge, like knot on the side of my face, so I had like this big, swollen like knot from, I guess like a knuckle on the side of my face. Now, I'm assuming it could have been much worse.
0: I mean, yeah, he kind of hurt you worse as in physically broken something, but the act of punching you, oh my God, he punched you in the
1: face. The hitting part wasn't even the most aggressive part of it. It was the screaming and telling me like, you will not go back to school. You will not leave the house. You will not like these were not, it wasn't a discussion. These were like, this is what you're allowed to do. And this is what you're not allowed to do. And I, I don't know, like I was in shock. I was, it almost like, I didn't cry. Like he hit me in the face. I didn't cry. Like I was like very numb and very like, I didn't know what to do. Honestly, I, I started vacuuming. He left and went to work and I started vacuuming. I think it's different for every woman because sometimes when you end up in that situation, you end up really, really hurt in my situation i should have directly left to the go to the police station and file a report or i should have called and filed a report like because at this point there was no documentation that he had ever done anything like this before if i had had it documented that he choked me and then you know a year and a couple months later he punched me it would have been easy for me to get like a restraining order or it would have been easier for me to get like a you know, whatever. But I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. And so my advice for that is if you're in that kind of situation and you don't know what to do, I mean, the safest thing is to call and ask. The safest thing is to get somewhere and ask, you know, like an authority, like like a police station or something like that. Like, what what can I do? Like, what are my options? I made the mistake of lying to them because I called and said, listen, I'm in this relationship. These are the kind of things that are happening. And they said, well, has he touched you? And I said, no, you know, I said, no. And they said, okay, well, you know, obviously you shouldn't be in this kind of relationship. Here is a outreach for a counselor. Um, and, uh, you know, you should think about getting out of this, this relationship. I told them no. Cause I think I was afraid that he would try to take custody of our child most states are 50-50, most states, if they don't harm the child, you know, the other parent has access, you know, and all that good stuff. And I knew enough about that because he had continued to tell me, like, through that part of the relationship that I wouldn't have any kind of ground to stand on. Like, he would be a part of the baby's life no matter what. Um, and so I lied. You know, I, I, I mean I shouldn't have, but I did. I think it also shows, like, how beat down. Like I didn't even know, like it's stupid because I had a mark on my face and I was like, okay, this police officer is not going to believe me because he had told me so many times, like, who's going to believe you? Like, who's going to want to mess with this? Who's going to want to, you know, put up with somebody who acts the way that you do or talks the way that you do and things of that nature. They gave me a phone number to a counselor and they say, call her and tell her like what you've been dealing with. I talked to her for maybe 20 seconds and she said, this is a really bad situation. I think I was on the phone with her for like 10, 20 minutes max. And then she said, okay, we're going to set up an appointment, like an actual appointment for you to come in. But what I want you to do is look around and see if there are any women shelters or if there's any place that you can go. And I didn't really get a lot into the physical part. I mean, I told her about the pinching and the elbowing and the shoving, but mostly I told her about the manipulation and the threats. He had threatened me one time when he was drunk. It was actually over Thanksgiving. I was making ham for our Thanksgiving meal for the next day, and I was carving it. And he said, you're lucky that I don't take that knife and stab you with it. I had kind of said it passingly to her, like as a, well, you know, sometimes he says ridiculous things when he's drunk. And, you know, he did say like, he wanted to stab me at one point. He said he wanted to slam a door on my face at one point. And she was like, okay, those are not idle. Like that's not an idle like threat. And she said, I know that you think that like you're in the height, the heightened part of the situation. And you think that like words like that don't carry any meaning, but she was like, if he's already pinching, if he's already pushing and things of that nature, he, he's already showing some aggressiveness. Honestly, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, I had lied to a police officer. I had kind of told this counselor some half-truths and some stuff. And I, I when I was talking to her, I was kind of laughing and like, I know it's kind of crazy and I sound crazy or whatever. I was really all over the place because I didn't know what to do. I was just scared. I was just scared that I didn't have options. I got really lucky. And this is why I got really lucky. And I do believe that it was divine intervention. Like I believe God intervened (laughs) because I had a police officer call me back, uh, maybe, maybe two hours after everything happened. And he said, Hey, this is officer. I'm reaching out for Jennifer and, I said, this is her. And he said, listen, that name that you gave us pulled up a police report. And he said, I'm not really at liberty to discuss these type of things because it's ongoing. Um, But as a Christian man, I would never forgive myself if something happened to you or if something happened to that baby. This person that you're with has beat the crap out of his former girlfriend. There's a restraining order. Like, there's a lot of stuff there that is ongoing. It wasn't just a simple assault and battery. Like, he beat the crap out of this girl. Was this the girl he had the two abortions with? Uh, No, it wasn't. It was a different girlfriend. He said, He beat the, the crap out of this girl. You need to get out. And then he told me how to get out with a child. He said, you don't want to get charged with kidnapping or anything like that. He said, you know, you're going to have to do this legally. You're going to have to get a lawyer. Um, But basically, I mean, I have a feeling that he has assaulted you before. I have a feeling that you're not being 100% forthright with everything that you are telling us. And he said, this is the most dangerous kind of person that we hear about because when they snap, they snap. And he said he fits all of the criteria for that the fact that he did hurt this other girl to the point to where, you know, she spent some time in the hospital and had to get fixed up from being banged up. Like you need, you really need to take stock and and do what I'm telling you to do. Uh, You need to go home. You need to go to a parent, to a a mom or a dad, and uh, you need to let him know where you're going. You need to let him know you're leaving because of the abuse. And then, you know, when you get to that place, um, you need to, you need to get a lawyer and you need to let him know, like, you're not leaving for forever. That this is, this is a trip. This is to clear your head. This is to get legal help and get legal aid and figure out what your options are. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to call back in about 30 minutes, which should be enough time for you to pack for a week trip or whatever. And uh, I'm going to make sure that uh, that you're going to go. I'll be forever for grateful because he did. He called me back 30 minutes and he was like, are you in your car? Did you let your significant other know that you're leaving? Okay, let me know exactly what you said to him to make sure that you're covered legally. And he basically just walked me through the whole process. And I remember crying and sobbing and just being like, you know, what am I going to do? Like, I can't imagine myself sharing Custody with somebody who is capable of stuff like this. And he said, I promise you, nine times out of 10, it is a power struggle. And he said, I doubt very seriously that you'll ever hear from this person again. He'll be really loud for a couple of weeks. And then when those weeks are over and he realizes you're not coming back, he said, I guarantee you that you will probably never hear anything from him again and he was right.
0: After you had the phone call with the officer, what happened in those 30
1: minutes while you were making your escape? I packed a bag and I I packed a bag for both of us, just like a week's worth of stuff. I went and filled the car up with gas. And then when I was on the road, I called and said, listen, I, I left a voicemail because he didn't pick up the phone. I said, Hey, listen, you know, um, this is what's happening. This is what I'm doing. This is why, and, uh, something's got to change and, um, I need, I need a break from it. And I'll be back in a week for us to work this stuff out to, and not us out, but to work custody and stuff out. And then I had like an 18 hour drive in front of me, the closest relative I had it might've been closer to 20 hours was, was at least six States away and no money. I mean, I had access to no money. I mean, I filled my car up on like the last $45 that I had in cash. I had a credit card, thank God. And I had left my uh, account open for my debit, my debit account. I think I had like $5 in that account. I called my parents and told them what had happened and that I was coming home. And of course, my dad was like, I, I want you to stay with me. I know you could stay with mom, but I want you to stay with me just because of everything that's going on. About four hours into the drive, I started getting multiple phone calls from him. I had been told by the police officer not to answer the phone while I was driving, not to answer text messages while I was driving, that I needed to pull over and respond, you know, and it basically just needed to be the same thing that I had left in the voicemail, which was, I'm not doing this. I need a break. I don't feel safe. This is what I'm doing. This is where I'm at. It was very important for me to give my, um, the address that I had planned on staying at so that he knew where, and this is the phone number that you can reach me at if you can't reach me on the cell phone. And I mean, he just screamed over me. Like he wouldn't let me talk. He wouldn't let me like I I said the same stuff, but it was like, I was speaking like this and he was screaming. Like, I don't know if he heard a word that I was saying, told me he was going to call the cops. He texted me the entire time saying that he had friends like that, you know, worked for the police station and that they were going to come and get me, that he was going to file kidnapping charges. So all the things that I was scared of, he threatened. And then Six or seven hours into the drive, it was a different story. It was like, please come back, baby, please come back. I'm so sorry. I'm so so sorry. Like, I don't want to lose my family. I don't want to lose you. Like, please come back. You know, please come back. We'll get married. Like, please come back. And then, you know, an hour or two after that, his family started calling me. I started getting voicemails from like his mom that was like, I always knew that you were no good and you were disgusting. And I got a text message from his sister saying like, this baby doesn't deserve to live off the system. And that's exactly what you're going to do. I already know that you're on WIC. Like I know you're on food stamps. So you're just going to end up being one of those like statistics who live off of people's tax dollars and don't actually like raise your baby and Honestly, I didn't respond to any of that because I mean, really the police officer uh, he told me that these kind of things could happen. He said don't respond in anger, don't respond to threats, don't respond to any of that stuff. It was very upsetting because I was not the things that they were saying about me in those moments like I realized that there was much more going on. Like they're getting this from somewhere i know that he has said some disparaging things about me to his mom so what else is he saying and it kind of lit a fire under me to find out like what was going on what was really going on you know i get to my dad's house i immediately set up an appointment to see like a family mediator counselor and a legal team my dad took some photos of my face obviously and he asked me a couple of questions. He was like, "Okay, well, you've got to stand strong, like you can't pick up the phone calls and stuff and you can't do all that." And then the threats started happening. I got several text messages that were like in the middle of the night, so I know he had been drinking, you know, and they weren't the best grammar. You know what I mean? Like, you could tell by reading it and stuff that, like, this person is inebriated or whatever. But it was, like, calling me names. And there were two messages where it was like, I know you've been cheating on me. You were cheating on me the whole time. It it just came out of the blue. And then it was like, I'm going to sue you. You know, I'm going to file kidnapping charges. I'm going to have you arrested. Like... You know, you're this, you're that, and I'm locking you out of the house and don't ever come back, and you're not welcome and I hate you and I can't believe I had a baby with you. I mean, but there and there was nothing about our child. Like it wasn't like I miss our child. It wasn't like I want to be with our child, nothing like that. Nothing. He would only use that piece of it as like a threat, as like a I'm gonna take this away from you. My lawyer, she was like none of this bodes well for him. This is going to look very bad for him. A couple days later, I got flowers in the mail and um, a picture of an engagement ring. And it was like, let's get married. I love you. I never responded for anything that had to do with me. It was only ever about our child. I invited for some mediation. He said no to that. I invited for us to have like a counseling session. He said no to that. I I asked him to go to anger management as per my legal team recommended. He said no to that. I asked him to do some more AA, which he had never done in the first place. And he said no to that. And then meanwhile, my girlfriend was digging through all of his Facebook stuff She's a very good investigator, and she found out that a week after I was gone, he was already seeing other people. Like, he was already bringing other girls, like, into our house. He was spending all of the money, like, crazy. Um, He basically started – he took a whole bunch of my stuff to Goodwill, like, a bunch of my clothes and stuff to Goodwill. And he did it without even, like, telling – me that he was doing it here. He's telling me like we should get married and he's already dating other people. And the reason I knew he was dating other people is because that next weekend he took a girl on a, like a mini vacation. They actually went and stayed like at a hotel for like three days and celebrated. I think we were close to a holiday. It may have been like the 4th of July. It was in the summer Memorial day, something like that. And I never brought any of that stuff up. I never said to the parents, like, look, he's seeing other people like he was cheating, you know. And at this point, my girlfriend is sending me documentation after documentation after documentation of him meeting girls and being out and going, you know, partying and like spending money at strip clubs and meeting up with women. And so all this stuff that I had kind of like been like, oh, no, like not really turning a blind eye to, but not wanting to believe either She's now sending me all this documentation, and you know my lawyers are saying this is, this is great or whatever. And they said, "Well, listen, it would be better if you would stay here for six months because then that changes the jurisdiction of where everything has to be fought at. If he continues to not talk to you for that amount of time, then that's when you can file stuff. So at this point, after he had sent the flowers and said we should get married, it was like radio silence he didn't that was it like he never that was it he never that was it he like never reached out his his mother did a couple more times but he never reached out again he sent a gift once for a birthday i think it might have been like a third birthday but it was like age inappropriate like a gift for like a one-year-old as opposed to like a toddler but yeah nothing nothing since then
0: Oh my gosh. It's like I didn't expect that ending to be just so like after all that, you just never spoke to him again.
1: I mean, I was scared for years. Yeah. Like, I thought he was going to reach out and like want to do all this stuff. But I was able to basically do all the stuff without him because he never responded to anything.
0: And did he know the whole time where you lived? Like, he knew where you moved to? Yes. Okay. So he could attract you down and he didn't
1: he could have come and visited. I told him he could come and visit. I invited him to come and visit. I mean, I invited to sit down with a mediator and say, okay, let's figure out how we're going to time this. And once I showed that I wasn't interested in a relationship at all, it was like, it was done for him. And I mean, it does that doesn't mean that like he could never pop up. Or that he could never say hey or anything like that. I mean, it would be a lot of work. Now it would be something that would require a ton. He would have to like go through a series of reintroductions and like back child support, getting a lawyer, and because I have sole custody as based on the fact that that he never fought, that there was not ever a Mm -hmm. there was never a thing to get rights, but as of right now, he doesn't have any other than he has the opportunity to fight for them. If he ever wanted to. Yes. And I don't know if he ever would. And the sad part about it is, is I mean, I tried to control everything from my first marriage all the way through this, ended up out of control and in an abusive situation. And it really took Like I thought I had hit rock bottom, you know, when I got punched in the face. And that's, that's the biggest thing that I want women to know going through this is that the abuse isn't the rock bottom. It's the trying to figure out what you're going to do with the next step of your life. It's trying to rebuild something that has been taken away from you. It's about finding security. It's about owning the things that you can own and taking responsibility for the things that you know, you did, because you can never take responsibility for the things that they did. There's not a way for you to make what the other person did okay, or acceptable. You can forgive, you can reassess. And I would love to paint this huge picture and just say like, I hate this person, or I'm so over this person, or You know, if I never see this person again, like, yay, kudos. And there's a part of me that says, absolutely, like, there is definitely hurt there that is always going to be there. But I mean, you can't get mad at a blind man for stepping on your toes. And he's completely blind to all the things that he's doing. He's lost. I mean, he definitely has no faith in anything other than what he can do and control and manipulate. And the truth of the matter is, is there's a person there that's crying out for, I mean, that's when I basically came to Christ because I realized I was trying to fulfill this hole inside of my heart that only God can fill. There is, there is a piece of, of everybody searching for, that unconditional love and that acceptance. And the truth of the matter is, is a person can't give you that. Like job can't give you that. Hobby can't give you that because it's going to run out. These are things that you're making for yourself or, you know, if a person is giving you love and they don't have the same understanding of where that unconditional love comes from, there's always going to be a condition. There's always going to be a downfall. There's always going to be a, well, you did that. So I'm doing this or, you know, they're, they're, there's always going to be a level of um, chaos. I mean, life <laughs> doesn't come easy, and it, it's not a peaceable journey, and it's not fair. I mean, no two people have had the same experience, and when we try to judge like what we should be doing off of our own experience, I mean you put 10 people in the same situation all 10 of them are going to have a different experience so that's not truthful like then all you have is your own your own truth when i hit rock bottom i definitely had all of those things like i never want to see this person again i never want to have to deal with this again like how could this happen to me like why is this thing af- going to affect the rest of my life and then i had to take stock that like Okay, I made some of these decisions and yes, like nobody should ever lay a hand on you, right? Ever. And just because you enter some into something, you think to yourself like, "Man, I should get out" and you end up staying. Like that doesn't mean that somebody is allowed to to mistreat or to abuse you at all. But at the end of the day, I had to say, "Okay, like I, I don't have any control over any of it." things are going to happen that are always out of my control. And the best thing that I can do is trust God. And that's what I did. And that's how I finally ended up realizing like the love that I was looking for, the love of my life was not the next guy that I was going to marry or the family that I was going to have. Like It was the salvation that I found in Jesus Christ. And it totally changed and transformed the way that I look at all this stuff. I could say like, I'm going to be mad at this person for the rest of my life, but that's not true. I I truly feel sorrow there. There's a loss there. There's a loss there that I can't replace, and it's going to affect me and my family for the rest of our lives. It's going to affect our child, and it's going to affect relationships that our child has. And so for me personally, uh, I don't see this broken thing I see a broken thing that only God can fix. And, that, and that's what I'm praying for. And that's what I hope for. That is what I cling to. It's the only thing that makes any of it bearable mm-hmm. for, for me and my family. It's been the best possible gift since going through everything that I went through. Thank you so much for sharing your
0: story with me and for with all of us. Oh my gosh, it took my breath away a couple times there. I cannot believe everything that you've been through. I just think you're so strong and I just love that you're married. You got some kids. How many kids do you have in total?
1: A lot. I have five. You've <laughs> got a full house. Oh my <laughs> so. gosh, I love that.
0: How old is your baby now that you had with Jersey? Gosh, we're coming up on, on nine about eight years without Jersey in your life. And obviously probably the rest of your life will be continued without him. Yes. Fingers crossed. If he did try to come back, do you think that your child would ever want to try to reconnect with him in any way?
1: I mean, our, our child knows, um, and daddy for our child is the man that I'm married to. He's been a part of our life for seven years he has completely and totally taken on this job in a honestly the best po- the best possible way. He um he has come in and that that is his his baby and uh, he treats that child just like ours and his and the whole nine yards. And so we've been very honest and I don't know. I mean, we kind of all of our decisions are made through prayer and discernment. That would be a question for the day that it happened
0: is there anything else that you would like to add before we sign off
1: that you're not alone like you if you think that you're if you do think that you're alone like you're not you're not like there's a there is a a god that does love you and will will support and guide you um even even if you don't feel like there's another person around he does make things possible
0: I want to say thank you again to Jennifer for sharing her story. I also want to thank the other ladies in this season, Brianna, Emily, and Amanda. All of you have helped me heal so much over the past year by making this season, and I will forever be grateful to all of you. I started this season last summer when I had just moved back to America, and I was a complete hot mess. I can honestly Say I was in the worst mental state I had ever been in. I had anxiety, depression, separation issues, codependency issues. I had eating habit issues. I was smoking a lot of weed. I had a lot of things happening. And I was also trying to numb a lot of my feelings. That was a year ago. And a lot can change in one year. I've had a lot of therapy. I've had a life coach. I've been on anti-anxiety medication, and I've been focusing on building healthy habits and routines. I can say that my mental health is the best it's been since before COVID, and I've worked hard to rebuild all areas of my life. This past year has been the hardest, but just like every woman on this podcast shares, it is 100% doable to start again, and you will be okay. I have three main takeaways that I've learned this past year. You have to put yourself first. You have to know your worth. And you have to set firm boundaries, even with the people that you love. As much as I love making this podcast, it's heavy content. And I'm currently in my healing journey. Podcasting is a hobby for me. I make the show at night, after work, in my free time. I will make more episodes eventually, but for now I'm going to take a break and go enjoy my new life. My divorce is now finalized and I'm teaching myself self-love. I have lots of travel plans with friends. I got a new house that I cannot wait to make so aesthetically pleasing and overall, I just want to focus on being my most authentic, happy version of myself and I encourage Every single person listening to go and do the same. Thank you so much for your support and thank you for listening. I will be back eventually, but until then, it doesn't end here.
1: Six months of broken heart.
0: to fall it down but i know i can make myself up because i'm truly now.